Hi, and welcome to the Savvy Social Hour podcast. This show is for female biz babes looking to up-level their business and become rockstar entrepreneurs in no time. I'm your host, Jenny, and I'm so excited to chat with you about today's episode. Let's get right into it. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm here today with Melissa Angs, author of Crisis Ready, Building an Invincible Brand in an Uncertain World, Melissa is a leading authority on crisis preparedness, reputation management, and brand protection. She is a coveted speaker, commentator, and advisor to some of today's leading organizations faced with the greatest risks. As a strategic advisor and keynote speaker, she has worked with NATO, ministries of foreign affairs and defense, financial firms, technology companies, healthcare organizations, cities and municipalities, law enforcement agencies, global nonprofits, and many others, helping them understand risk and build invincible brands that we can withstand the most devastating of events. In 2015, she gave a TED Talk in Los Angeles where she discussed the secret to successful crisis management in the 21st century. She is the editor of Crisis Ready blog, a contributor to Forbes, and a go-to source for the press with recent coverage, including Wall Street Journal, Vibe Magazine, USA Today, and many others. As a university guest lecturer, she teaches crisis management in university courses around the world, including at NYU and McGill. I'm super excited to have Melissa here to talk about building an invincible brand. So let's dive right in. Hi, Melissa. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited that you're here, and I cannot wait to chat more about building an invincible brand with you. So before we dive into this episode, tell us a little bit about yourself and your business and just how you got started doing it all. Oh, <laughs> that's a story. Um, <laughs> I, will, I will give you the short version. Um, so I've been an entrepreneur since I was 21. So basically my entire adult life Mm -hmm. and about almost a decade ago, I was doing social media marketing and brand, you know, um, developing brands for organizations and their websites and all that, um, their digital strategy, let's say. And, uh, it was right at the time where organizations were starting to realize that they should be on social, that it had benefits to them, (laughs) that this was like a platform they could leverage. Um, And the way that my brain works is I see risk. I've always seen risk. And then from that, I see mitigation strategies for that risk. And then from there, I see opportunity through the mitigation. That's like the pattern that if I were to say that my brain works in a pattern, that is the pattern my brain takes and always has. Um, So I remember one morning reading, you know, just catching up on my reading, reading blogs and news articles and stuff all about social strategies and that. And it just hit me one day of, oh my goodness, there's so much risk here for brands and why is nobody talking about it? And then of course my brain went to that risk if we start talking about it is preventable, we could mitigate it. And then it went to, and there's so much opportunity in all of this. Um, from a crisis management, crisis preparedness perspective, and emergency management, and you know issue management, and so at I remember the aha moment, and at the time I had no idea that crisis management was a thing. I just I had it didn't know it existed as a as a profession, and so what I did was I found something that really kind of spoke to the way that my brain works. So I spent a year just devouring everything I could get my hands on on the topic, for out of pure 
enjoyment and just intrigue and passion. And it just happened that about a year later, I had a client that was a real estate investment trust and they called me uh, very early one morning, the VP calls saying in a panic saying, Melissa, our president is in the car with a prospective investor. The radio was reporting that one of our buildings is about to explode. It's not true. Investors are calling in. Apparently it started on Twitter, the rumor. We have no idea what Twitter is, but we're told it's a digital thing. And since you just launched our website, we thought to call you. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, and so this was like as right person to call on a whim, right? So I went in and within a half an hour, I had the media correcting themselves. I had investors getting the right information the right ways because they weren't going to Twitter, even though the conversation was taking place on Twitter. And it was long story short, the next day, the president of the company called me to say, thank you. Not only did our unit price not go down since yesterday, but it actually went up a cent. So thank oh, wow. you so much. And that was kind of my aha moment of, oh my goodness, I can serve. Like, this is something that I'm really good at and businesses don't even realize yet that they need it and I could see that they needed it. And I felt, I never felt so much of value to my clients than in that moment. Um, so I did, I turned to, I had a business partner at the time and I turned to him and I said, there's something here. I don't necessarily know what it looks like, but I want to jump. And he said, okay, let's jump. So I, a um, young entrepreneur, didn't have marketing budget. I decided that I was going to blog five days a week, and I did for years. And I was going to get my, I was going to start raising some big questions that I didn't understand why nobody was raising. And my blog was the first in the world to really tackle these, these issues and provide methodology and just solutions for them. Right place, right time. I had um, some wonderful, wonderful crisis management professionals with long-standing careers and great clients come to me and say, we don't know if this whole social thing is a fad or a trend. Um, we don't necessarily know how long it's going to last and we don't necessarily want to learn it, but we're smart enough to know that our clients need you now. Can we partner? Yeah. And that was the beginning of what I do now, which is, which is I'm very blessed to work with some of the leading brands in the world and help them become crisis ready. Wow. How cool. I mean, uh, so from my perspective, uh, like as a small business, that's not something that I think about either. Like that's probably like, the last thing that I think about, but I know it's really important in the event that something happens because you know, there, there might, something might happen as a small business. You know, I don't see, I don't foresee anything crazy like that happening maybe to me, but I imagine, you know, I did work in the corporate world and we actually did have a time where, um, our, so I worked at a mall as a social media strategist and I helped them with their social media strategy and like promoting the stores and stuff. And the top of the garage had like the sign for the mall on it and it caught on fire. And so I, we didn't even know what to do. Like my boss was like, Oh, you know, like she didn't know when I should send like, you know, something on social media telling them like, Hey, you know, everything's fine, but there's a slight fire and they were dealing with the media and stuff. And I was just like sitting there like, okay, this is like, I feel like we could have had a better strategy for this. Huh. And just having that plan in place would have helped because you know, the employees were calling and they're like, are we supposed to stay here? Are we supposed to leave? You know, like, what are we supposed to do? And then there was like miscommunications where a lot of the employees just like left, not just the building, but legit left the, <laughs> the area. And we were trying to call them back after the fact because, you know, we had reopened the mall and stuff and it was just, 
kind of a mess. <laughs> so yeah, having something in place for when something like that happens, like stay within the premises or something would have been really helpful because we spent our whole day just like managing what you could have been prepared for. Yeah. I mean, I don't, as a small business, I don't like, obviously like, well, but, but you keep saying that, but the reality is that every business has, whether you're a solopreneur or, you know, a mega brand with 10,000 employees around the world, every business is prone to a series, a set of high risk scenarios that are the most likely high impact types of issues and crises to strike. And it doesn't have to necessarily go viral, but what it, what you want to mitigate is risk of impact on your business. So as a solopreneur, it could be something like, um, I oh, so many things, but it could be, for example, something happening to you, God forbid, knocking on wood, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you can't deliver you know, the service or the goods of, to your clients and you can't, which impacts your livelihood, which, so, you know, there's that, there's, um, a lot of consultants have some really great clients. Are you a weak link for your client? If your client is a big brand where, you know, is who, uh, or that is susceptible or, um, vulnerable to breaches in the sense of like their data is very valuable maybe you're seen as the weak link potentially to gaining access to, you know, a portal into that, their system. So, and then what does that do for your reputation and your livelihood? So no matter the size of your business, there is risk and being crisis ready is about taking the time to understand that risk, decide which ones are issues versus crisis. So crisis is long-term impact on your business or Mm -hmm. on your or on your stakeholders, the environment, or your business operations, um, and and just preventing what you can, so preventing the preventable and planning and preparing for the unpreventable. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that is very important. And like I, when I was actually in school, we had to make a contingency plan because we were planning like this big event that was like a hypothetical thing. But I think you know, going back to that, I think every kind of business needs some type of contingency plan in place for when things do happen. And we had like things like if there was a fire at the event, how would people exit? If, you know, if it was raining, what would we do? Things like that. Just kind of putting that all onto paper, even though it wasn't a real happening, just kind of like laying that all out there was like really interesting to see because before that I didn't really think about being prepared for all the different things that could arise. It makes sense. And just the thought process behind thinking through it gives you an advantage. Yeah, for sure. So let's dive in. So why is it important for us to be prepared in advance for a crisis? Because, you know, a lot of the time people are reactive, not proactive. So, you know, what, what, why is it so important to just be prepared in the event that anything bad happens within your business? So it, Today, with social media, with the real-time news cycle, with the fact that everybody has a tool in their pockets that allows us to live stream with, you know, three pushes of a button um, or, you know, a push of three different buttons. Mm -hmm. So when something negative happens, whether it's an issue that goes viral, whether it's a crisis, if you aren't crisis ready, then you start behind. Mm -hmm. So in the sense of the story escalates very quickly today. So by the time you reach for your crisis management plan, for example, uh, the story is already miles ahead of you potentially. Stakeholder demands 
and expectations, the threshold for those demands and expectations start so much higher today. And they start at minute 0.1. They're there. So being crisis ready, having, you know, being reactive versus proactive when you should be proactive um, just puts you at a disadvantage. And if you, it is very, very easy to kind of, when something goes viral, so for example, an issue can go viral and it doesn't escalate to crisis level. Virality is not the defining criteria of crisis. So if you haven't realized that or thought through that um, in advance, it's very easy to respond inappropriately or just not to the business's best advantage because of the emotion involved with something going negatively viral against your organization. I mean, that is not a situation that anybody wants to be in. And it's easy to overreact or to underreact unless you understand full scope of of impact and how to assess it and stakeholder expectations. Crisis management is about people. It's about doing what's right behind the scenes and communicating in a way that when you are sharing your story, Jenny, you're saying that, you know, um, employees wanted to know, do we stay put? Do we do this? All of that is foreseeable. We can anticipate if we understand what our high risk scenarios are. So the most likely high impact types of issues and crises and strike the brand, you mm-hmm. can then say in each one of those scenarios, what will employees expect of us and how can we make sure that we're in a position to meet those expectations? What will customers think about or expect of us and how can we make sure our employees are in a position to meet those expectations? All of this is, is work that can be done and should be done prior to that event striking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, even if they just had like a document, like what to do that in the event of a fire and then kind of have like for the actual like store employees, for like a customer section, and then for the employees that worked in the mall management office, just something as simple as that would have prevented like hours worth of questions. Cause I feel like I was just like, Hey, what, like, what do we do? You know? And they didn't know. And they were just trying to combat the media and all that stuff. So it was just like, everything else was put on the back burner. So the people who weren't like directly facing with the media were just sitting there like, all right, so, you know, what do we tell the um, employees if they come over here? What do they tell, we tell the customers? But it's just like, we weren't getting any answers. So it was just kind of like a waste of a day <laughs> because you were just like kind of stuck and you, people would come up and be like, hey, like, what are we supposed to do? And you were like, I, I don't really know. Well, and, and it's a missed opportunity mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. How, how badly does that make the brand look? I don't yeah. really know, you know, like, well, you should know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do I do? Am I in danger? What, yeah. like, what's happening? <laughs> yeah. And like the people answering, trying or attempting to answer the questions that didn't have answers weren't like, you know, the face because they weren't like the general manager, the assistant general manager of the mall. But it was just like, we were the ones stuck trying to skirt around these questions that we didn't know the answer to. So, so. it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, Absolutely. for sure. And funny enough, like I, after I left, there was two more incidents with fires, which, because they had a lot of restaurants attached and the restaurants, like, I guess they didn't turn off their like towel warmers or like something happened with that. And there was like two more fires within the next year. And I'm like, well, I hope they were prepared that time, but who knows? Who knows? And so we just talked about most likely high impact types of negative events. That's one incident, one type of scenario that happened three times in the span of a year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a high impact, very likely, yeah. <laughs> most prone to, that should be identified beforehand and the team put in a position to meet and hopefully exceed stakeholder, stakeholder demands and expectations. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I was like, I hope they're prepared now that I'm not there anymore, but who knows? Like, I don't have to deal with it, but still, and I, I, it was just funny to see on the news, like another fire in the past year at River Center. And I was just like, oh, okay, here we go again. But yeah, it was kind of funny to see, um, you know, them having the same problem multiple different times. Um, so what kind of things should we have in place in our businesses to kind of ensure that we're prepared for a crisis? So we kind of talked about having some sort of a plan, but like anything else that we should kind of know in advance so that when these crises do occur, we're prepared. Uh, absolutely. Um, so the first step is defining issue versus crisis for your organization. A crisis for one organization isn't necessarily a crisis for another organization. Mm -hmm. And like I said earlier, virality is not the defining criteria of crisis. Yes. So if you're going to respond appropriately, then you need to have that definition. And I can, I can share that as a baseline. Is, um, crisis is a negative event or situation that stops business as usual to some extent. Mm -hmm. Stops business as usual to some extent because it needs to be escalated to leadership straight to the top because it requires their attention, their decision-making and their guidance. Why? Because the incident itself threatens and it, we're going to underscore the term long-term impact on one or all of the following five things. So the organization, well, stakeholders, so the people, mm -hmm. environment, business operations, the organization's reputation and, or the organization's bottom line. It's the negative event that stops business as usual to some extent requires leadership's attention and guidance because it threatens long-term impact on people, environment, business operations, reputation, and or bottom line. Whereas an issue is also a negative event or situation, but it doesn't stop business as usual. I look at issue management as business as usual on hyperdrive. Okay. It doesn't require escalation all the way to leadership because it's business as usual on hyperdrive. And the reason being is that it doesn't have that long-term or doesn't risk having that long-term threat on any one of those five things. Okay. So what would you say an example of an issue would be within, you know, just in a corporate regular office type business? So I can, in a, well, I'll give you an example that I love to use because it's an example of an issue and a crisis for two okay. different organizations, the same situation. So it's comparing apples with apples. Um, the Grammys. Do you remember what happened at the Academy Awards um, or the Oscars, I should say, uh, in 2017? Mm -hmm. So La La Land was named the winner of the coveted Best Picture Award. Everybody from La La Land got onto the stage <laughs> and they were three acceptance speeches in when somebody made the announcement of, oops, <laughs> La La Land didn't win. It was Moonlight. Oh, man. Yeah. And then this whole embarrassing moment happened, right? Nobody knew what to do. La La Land was embarrassed. Moonlight was embarrassed. The Oscars were embarrassed. Like, nobody knew. It was just this embarrassing moment that, of course, was streaming live and went viral as it happened in real time. Yeah. And for days, everybody talked about the crisis at the Oscars. Yeah. I'll ask you, do you think, Jenny, that this was a crisis or an issue for the Oscars? I would say a crisis because that's a really big publicized event and it affected them for a few days after, even though that's not like long-term, long-term, but I mean, even in 20, 
18, we're, you know, you're still using that as an example. So it clearly sticks out in people's minds. It sticks out in people's minds. But if we think about it in the context of, and I love this example because it's so easy to, um, to not make it real, right? So I give the definition and it, it, it's hard to make it real. It's kind of abstract. So if we look at this, it didn't stop business as usual to any extent. So leadership did not have to come, you know, get up and come and manage the situation. It was business as usual on hyperdrive. It was a very embarrassing moment, but it, it didn't. And if we put it in context of what's a crisis for the Oscars, we can say things like, God forbid, a terrorist attack or threat would be a crisis for the Oscars. Right. So it, and it didn't threaten that long-term impact on anybody because it wasn't the Oscars fault, which mm-hmm. leads me to my second part, which is PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Yeah. They are the accounting firm that has had a relationship with the Oscars for 70 some years. And they're the ones responsible for counting the ballots, determining who wins each award, creating those envelopes and handing those envelopes off to the announcers. Mm-hmm. They handed the wrong envelope off. Yeah. That's, that was what happened. So now let's look at, again, in the same context, did business as usual stop for PwC? Can you imagine leadership of PwC sitting on the couch with their family that evening, watching the Oscars unfold in real time, eating popcorn or having a sip of beer or wine, and that happens? Uh, yeah, that's pretty mortifying, I would say. It, I would say that they didn't just keep eating their popcorn. Yeah, they probably <laughs> they, called someone and was like, uh, what is the deal with this? Because, you know, they shot up. Yeah, absolutely. And business as usual, the next day stopped to Mm -hmm. some extent because they needed to what they needed to manage their relationship with the Oscars to make sure they did not lose that relationship long-term. They needed to manage their reputation because they had customers, you know, kind of hesitant going, uh, how can we trust you with your, our money if you can't hand off the right envelope, right? Like there's that risk of perception and reputation. Yeah. They needed to manage that and make sure that that didn't have a lasting impact. And because PwC is crisis ready, they were able to take a potential crisis because it did threaten that long-term impact mm-hmm. and de-escalate it to issue level and they managed it beautifully. Yeah, no, that's a good example. And I like how they're both like intertwined. It's not just like two different examples from two different companies. But yeah, no, that's, that's, that really helped like kind of clarify the difference between a crisis and just something that's like a, that'll affect them for a short term period of time, but it's not going to be, you know, you know, costing them customers or things like that. Yeah, because in this case, it wasn't the Oscars fault. And, yeah. um, and I love that you thought, you know, your first mind went or your first thought went to that was a crisis because of the viral nature, the fact that I'm still talking about it, which is then that goes to the point of it's so important to define these for your organization so that you can have a clear understanding of scope and impact and then therefore ways to respond. Um, And what I love about this is we have the same situation, two different companies, for one company or organ brand, it was a viral issue. And for the other, it was a potential crisis, mm-hmm. which makes the point of a crisis for one is not necessarily a crisis for another. So what are yours? Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good um, clarification on it. Cause I was, I mean, I was kind of clear, but yeah, that just helps solidify like what the difference is. So 
what are some of your best tips for building an invincible brand that can withstand all of the different crises that may come into play or even just issues? You know, what are some good tips for just making that solid brand that can withstand anything basically? So there's a few components that go into it, but what it really comes down to is people. Business is about people. Every business has, I don't care what industry you're in, whether you're private sector, public sector, um, government, NGO, it doesn't matter. Business is about people. Successful businesses run because of people, right? Whether it's employees or investors and investors and vendors and customers and clients and all of these. Crisis management is about people. Yeah. And it's, so it's about people. So if you have a culture that puts people above process and bottom line always. If you have a culture that rewards your employees and empowers your employees to have the right mindset, so when the negative events happens, do you see that as, and I, I mean an issue, not necessarily a catastrophic crisis, but um, mm-hmm. with a customer complaint. How, what is the culture of your organization and how, what's the lens through which you see these events, right? These natural business events that are bound to happen. Um, do you see them as an annoyance? Do you see them as an opportunity to live your values and, and create stronger emotional ties with those who matter most to your business? So it, it's always about people and it's always about having the right lens. And it, then it goes to understanding the risk so that you can react and respond appropriately mm-hmm. and understanding those people. So if we identify our most likely high impact issues and crises, we can then also say, okay, in this, you know, in issue number A or uh, crisis number one, um, what will our employees expect of us and how can we meet those expectations? What will customers expect of us and how can we put our employees and our team in a position to meet those expectations? That was a key and a key thing that you were, you were missing, you know, your leadership, um, mm-hmm from your company was missing to give you as a, as a resource, as a tool Mm -hmm. to be able to meet those expectations in the scenario that you painted for us earlier. Um, And if you, and then when, if you don't know what to do, one of the things I always say is focus on strengthening relationships. If you focus on people and the values that you share and the connection and the emotional um, relationship that you have earned over the years of being in business, if you focus on that and focus always on strengthening that, then you're going to guide your team in the right direction. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And I like the point where you say like putting people over everything because that is really important because it is. you want to sever those relationships um, at any point. And even if you are, you know, even in my case, when I was unsure of what to tell them, like our employees um, that worked at the mall or different customers and stuff. I tried to be, you know, as friendly and nice as possible so that they weren't like, so that even though they, we weren't, we didn't have a solution for them, you know, I try to make them feel better about the situation and, you know, just continue to nurture that relationship so that, you know, that even though I didn't have a solution, they were still, they still felt comfortable and they're like, okay, it seems like, you know, they're trying to figure out what they care. They yeah, care. Exactly. Car- caring counts for a lot. Um, but in order, honestly, at some point, it's not acceptable to care, but to not have been prepared. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah, that's what I was saying. I hope after the fact they had something in place. Absolutely. Absolutely. That would be not okay if, like, after the first one, they just were like, okay, you know, hopefully this never happens again. It would be very, yeah, very naive and very um, not recommended. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I would hope not, but who knows? Um, (laughs) Who knows with that company? But yeah. Um, so let's now dive into the three questions that I ask everyone that comes onto the show. So what does it mean for you to be an entrepreneur and what is your favorite part about it? It, what it means to me, honestly, from a personal, um, from the core of who I am, it means freedom and it means owning my destiny. Oh, I love that. (laughs) A lot of people do say the freedom aspect, but I like the owning my destiny part because that's definitely, definitely cool. Because it's like one of those things you get to kind of pick what happens. Like you are in charge of your future. If you're yeah. at a corporate job where you don't work for yourself, they are kind of in charge of your future. They get to pick if you're going to get a raise or not, or if you're going to get picked for this promotion or things like that. So, and with this type of job, when you're working for yourself, you pick your prices, you pick who you work with. You get to pick pretty much everything about your business. If you don't want to be offering a service, you don't have to. You know, it's just so nice. And sometimes after being in the corporate world for a couple of years, I forget that because I'm like, I'm so used to doing things that I had to do, like no choice that when I'm doing something I don't want to be doing in my business, I forget that I have the choice not to do it if I don't want to. I mean, obviously I can't just not do like taxes or something, but I can outsource (laughs) it to someone else, you know? Yes. Yes, precisely. So yeah, that's, that's really cool. And being able to choose my own adventure essentially has been a really cool experience. That's awesome. Yeah. So what's your favorite tool that you use within your business? Just something that you just feel like you cannot live without. And this can be like anything, like a digital thing or, you know, a paper planner or just anything that you just feel like you need to use in your day to day life. My phone. Oh yeah. That's a good one. (laughs) That, yeah, I couldn't, I mean, I travel almost, you know, weekly. And, um, yeah, my phone keeps me connected to everything. Yeah. As well as the, like I I create my videos from my phone. Um, so even just as a tool there for getting, you know, being able to help more organizations and get them thinking and provide them with strategy and, and different things in via my vlogging, um, is important to me. So yeah, so my phone is my answer. Awesome. Yeah, no, I I couldn't live without my phone. If it's not in my sight for like 15 minutes, I'm like, where's my phone? I'm actually really good with that. Whereas I can, I mean, this probably contradicts what I just said, but (laughs) I can leave my house and be like, oh crap, I forgot my phone and, you know, run back from the car in to get my phone. So I'm not dependent on it the way that I think a lot of people are. And it's not about social media. It's not about, but it's really just that connection of when I'm on call yeah. too, right? Like, um, you yeah. need to be there if something. Exactly. So if an email comes in or if a phone call comes in, client in crisis, or I capture a thought um, that I, that I can use to, like I said, create a video that will help companies. Then um, to me that that's the value that my phone provides me. Yeah. I mean, mine's not necessarily as crucial to have my phone, but as a social media manager, it is important because, you know, in those events that crises do happen, I need Mm -hmm. to be able to answer to them. You definitely do. Especially like with small businesses, because most of the time they, they're, they only have social media. They don't have a storefront or any of those other things. So that's like their main way of communicating, um, you know, what's going on. So 
It's definitely crucial. <laughs> and then lastly, who is your go-to business resource? This can be anyone that you just feel inspired by and you're always devouring whatever content that they create and you know, someone that you just really look up to in the business world. Um, oh, those are like two different questions almost, um, because the content thing changes, Mm -hmm. um, always I'm just, you know, for example, when I started vlogging, just as an example, I was following, um, this, you know, personal brand, this woman who does great job. And when I absorbed everything I felt that I could from her, then it moves on. Right. So it's constantly evolving and changing, Mm -hmm. but people that I look up to in business, I'm so blessed to be surrounded by so many people. Uh, just within my network and my circle, uh, my inner circle that I look up to that just they're doing amazing work and they just inspire me. And um, I mean, geez, there's so many, but uh, you know, Jay Bear is one from Convince and Convert. Uh, David Meerman Scott is a long time one um, that I'm excited about. You know, now we're, we're planning some, some fun things together. So I'm so excited about that. Um, my friend Phil Jones is another uh, who's just constantly, he just hustles and um, he's brilliant at what he does and he's brilliant at kind of the, the business side of what he does. Um, yeah, so there's, there's tons. Yeah, yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like there's a lot of people who inspire me in different ways and for different reasons as well. Um, I'll have to check out some of your recommendations though, because I always like kind of seeing who else is out there instead of just the same like 15 people that I'm always seeing online. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that's fun. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then lastly, let us know where we can find you. So your website and, you know, your social media channels that you're most active on and, you know, their handles and all that stuff. Cool. So my website is melissaagnes.com. It is the hub for everything. Um, if you, for your listeners, if you're interested in, you know, really diving into looking at how to become crisis ready and build brand invincibility, my new book is called crisis ready, building an invincible brand in an uncertain world. And it takes you, it doesn't matter the size of your organization or your business. It doesn't matter where you currently sit on the spectrum of crisis readiness. It was designed to give you, I give you everything. I give you my entire framework. I give you everything that I do with clients to help you build brand invincibility. It gives you the exact roadmap. Um, that too, I mean, that's on Amazon and wherever books are sold, but melissaagnes.com will take you there. Um, and as for social, uh, I'm pretty much Melissa Agnes everywhere. Sometimes it's underscore like on Twitter, it was underscore just because I couldn't get Melissa Agnes. Um, but again, MelissaAgnes.com will send you links there. And the places that I'm the most active on, honestly, is Instagram. I have so much fun with Instagram. Um, and then Twitter is a really great place for conversations around crisis as they unfold and, um, you know, sharing some stuff. But kind of the, the fun part of following, well, I hope, <laughs> I have fun with it anyways, so maybe others don't, but um, that's Instagram, and then otherwise it would be Twitter and LinkedIn. Awesome, yeah, Instagram is always fun, because you can do the stories and all that stuff, and really interact with your people, so yeah, I really love and share, so I don't do naturally with sharing myself personally, like I'm really good at talking about crisis and crisis readiness and brand invincibility and giving everything that I can to help. Um, I'm really good at that part, but I'm not so great at talking about me. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I always figure like, who cares, right? Nobody, nobody cares about me. <laughs> so I, I embarked upon, you know, I challenged myself when I joined Instagram and I said, I'm going to use this platform to not share about me, but 
but share pieces of me, of myself, of my personal life to make it maybe more relatable or maybe more, I mean, just to connect, I suppose, and to push myself to, to challenge myself because it doesn't come naturally. And now I have a blast with that. So <laughs> yeah, it's really fun to like kind of just share bits and pieces because you think people don't care, but they do. I think they prefer hearing sometimes like, oh, my favorite food is tacos versus like something that's business related. Um, from my experience, at least like a lot of yeah. people like, will respond to those things. Like if yeah, it just, it makes you more human. And yeah, as, yeah. as a, as a, um, a speaker, a professional speaker, I mean, that's important. <laughs> I want people to feel comfortable coming to talk to me. Exactly. Uh, so yeah. People buy from people, not brands. That's what I found. Um, a lot of the time, especially for small businesses, because they want that human aspect. They want to know who's behind it. Unless you're like something like Target then, or, you know, yeah. those big corporations, people really appreciate being able to know the person behind the brand. And even, even those big corporations, they spend a lot of time and resources into crafting, you know, emotionally relatable stories that connects the brand to their consumers. And yeah. that's essential for their business strategy. Exactly. Well, it was great talking to you. I really had a good time and like, I loved learning more about crisis management since it's not something I was super familiar with um, today. Well, the pleasure was all mine. This was a fun conversation. Thank you for having me on. Of course. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. You can find all the details from this episode by going to www.savvysocialhour.com slash episode dash 50. Make sure to join the Savvy Social Media Babes community Facebook group for daily prompts, updates on the podcast, and more. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. You can find us on the web at www.savvysocialhour.com. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Savvy Social Hour and like our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash Savvy Social Hour. New episodes will be released every single Tuesday and Thursday. See you next time.